Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now on lesson seven of our fourth quarter about present truth in Deuteronomy. And today's lesson, or this week's lesson, is entitled Law and Grace. There's a whole lot of law in Deuteronomy, and mm -hmm. I think our contributor wants to make sure that we don't forget that law always goes with grace. And okay. we're going to be talking about that. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we got into our substance well, today? Well, just briefly, we had somebody ask recently about our outlines that we make available on our website. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody had said, when I look at the outline, there are no questions or interactive questions to pose to the class. That's because we don't put them in the outline. So just so you know, as teachers, this is just outlining the points to be conveyed in the lesson. When I teach a lesson, I'll actually take my outline and then I'll mark it up with the interactive stuff that I'll do. So just so you understand, I would not teach a class without doing some level of interaction, but that's not built into the outline. Right. And we may have a, a, a little teaching uh, module on that some point in the future, but yeah, essentially, it's not a script, it's just notes, and That's you right. can teach them how you need to. Excellent. Well, let's get into our lesson today. Um, again, law and grace. Uh, I'm guessing there could be a ton of different ways that this could go, because it's, again, one of those broad topics that people are familiar with. Um, and so I tell you what, before we dive into that, why don't you start us off with a word of prayer, sure. and I'll walk through the talking points. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Father, we just ask now for your guidance in our review of the lesson this week, and I pray that you would be with our teacher, uh, the students that are watching, and Lord, the upcoming classes that will be taught, that this lesson would be a means of strengthening us in our relationship with you in the times we live in, that our witness would be more faithful, and people would see and recognize Jesus and his grace and mercy in us. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. What are our talking points? The talking Pastor points Cameron. number one. God rules his universe with rules. <laughs> now, I was tempted to even say God rules with rules. Uh, it's a clever little thing, but we're going to see that it's more than just this, this world or just the Old Testament. This whole universe runs under God's moral law. And well, that comes from Sunday. In fact, all of that first point is just in Sunday's lesson. Okay. Number two comes from Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So that's the kind of the broadest application is talking point number two, grace is power. There's a lot of talk about because this is about law and grace. But if we talk about the law of God, how does grace fit in? And what even is grace? And how do those two relate? So we're mm -hmm. going to get into that. And finally, number three, obedience is a blessing. That comes from Tuesday's lesson, that obedience isn't drudgery, it's not just something you endure, it's a blessing and a joy. So we'll get into that as well. All right. All right, so let's Take go back away. to this. We're going to start kind of, um, I'm, I don't, of course it's theologically, but it's almost a philosophy of theology. We gotta God think. rules with rules. Yes. What does that mean? Well, first of all, let's talk about God's position in the universe. He is the creator of all things. So anything that exists and beings that exist came from his creative power and he is sovereign over them and he rules them. Sure. So how does the creator rule his creation? So we could even step back from that and say any ruler mm -hmm. has typically has a government. Right. He governs and he governs by reason of something and that something is law. So law is exactly. the foundation of of any government, not just God's government. And the lesson brings out, and I think rightly so, that there are natural laws that even if you didn't have sentience and volition, you'd still obey gravity or travel the speed right. of light or whatever. But the, by creating the way that he has, the beings that he's made, it, it necessitates a second level of law, if you will. 
So what I have in the notes here is that in his love and wisdom, God created sentient beings with the capacity to determine their own thoughts and actions. Beings with the ability to choose require an opportunity to choose. Thus, a moral law is essential for both men and angels. Now, that's okay, a little so wordy. Both fallen and unfallen. Exactly. So whether here on earth or up in heaven, fallen or non-fallen, sure. The rules don't go away when you go to heaven. It's like, hey, no exactly. more now we're past we're... the rule. There wasn't pre-rule and post-rule. It's just all rules. Mm -hmm. And we have to get that framework in mind when you talk about the law of God. What even is this thing? Well, it's mm -hmm. just his, you know, this quarterly and Sunday. I want to read paragraph two there, how the lesson brings this idea out. Sure. Central to the idea of moral freedom is moral law. Subatomic particles, ocean waves, kangaroos, though following to some degree natural law, don't follow or need moral law. Only moral beings do, which is why even in heaven, God has a moral law for the angels. Now, can you look in Scripture and see, because obviously Scripture begins with, in the beginning God created the heavens mm -hmm. and the earth, and starts with the creation of man and goes on from there. But the Bible does peel back and show us behind the scenes before our creation of this world in several places. And the most famous, of course, is the fall of Lucifer, right? And if you have in Scripture a definition of sin, like 1 John 3, 4 talks about how sin is the transgression of the law, and then we read in Ezekiel 28, 15, for example, as the, as the lesson pointed out, and it refers to Lucifer's iniquity and sin, that is a tacit implication of the fact that if there is sin, there had to be a law to transgress. Right. That's the nature of sin, is the disobedience to a law. So when we see that in heaven there was a created perfect being who then transgressed or had iniquity or fell into sin, however you want to phrase it, it, it reveals that even in heaven, before there was sin, there was law. Mm -hmm. In fact, in order to have a sin, there had to be a law. Yes. Okay, look at uh, Mount of Blessings, page 109. Could you read that for us? It's in Sunday's sure. lesson as well. Sure, it says, The will of God is expressed in the precepts of his holy law, and the principles of this law are the principles of heaven. The angels of heaven attain unto no higher knowledge than to know the will of God, and to do his will is the highest service that can engage their powers. Hmm. So, the angels attain to no higher knowledge than the will of God, and to do that will, so God wants you to do something, mm -hmm. but he gives you the option to opt in or opt out. We call mm -hmm. that obedience. And to them, that's the highest attainment they can get to, is to know what God wants. And by, you know, it doesn't say by what power, but just to do it brings yes. them great joy. Well, and we looked at this last week in Deuteronomy chapter 4, where God says, this is your wisdom in the sight of the nations. Not just having the laws, but doing the laws. Mm. And so it's interesting that not only for us, but for the angels, the highest service that you can engage in. And it makes me, th this isn't a perfect example, but it makes me think of a car. I mean, you've got, you're talking about moral choice, and we're not talking about, law, I'm not talking about moral law here, but a car has a law it has to abide by. An engine works a certain way. Mm -hmm. Now, if your car ever breaks down, that's because it stopped operating according to the law, and you know it's not best for the car, right? It doesn't run <laughs> right. well that way. Now, the car didn't choose it per se, but mm -hmm. still, you understand that that in order for anything to operate, there are always rules of operation for something to go mm -hmm. it, it, to, to, to operate its utmost capacity. Mm -hmm. And so our utmost capacity would be our happiness and contentment, mm -hmm. and so the moral law is not just, hey, a, an arbitrary list of do's and don'ts, right. but 
that it's the utmost. This is well, how and you I think sometimes and I'm sure it's Satan who gets us to misimagine the law of God. Sure. That somehow there's this grand thing that we have this freedom, this free will, moral agency, right? But then God imposed upon that mm-hmm. this what was we were arbitrary, like, like he just kind of made it up. It's like, all right, I'm going to de- box you in and define you. Right. So we could be here, but God's made us here. Right. When the reality is, He's our Creator. And he mm-hmm. knows what's best for us. He's like, actually, I'm, I'm drawing the box exactly in the right thing. That's the best prime operating that you can have. But Satan makes this thing that those determines, those, those rules are in somehow a limitation to our freedom when right. the reality is they are the highest freedom we can have. Well, I told you as we were reviewing the lesson, it makes me think of Psalm 19, where for the longest time I couldn't understand Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day in a day utter speech, night unto night, and it talks about the, the in, in the sky is a tabernacle for the sun and it's rising and it's setting and all these things about the heavenly bodies. And then in the middle, it just shifts over to the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise simple. You're like, what a strange What transition. just happened there? But what, what, what God's doing is he starts with natural law. Like, what would happen if there wasn't a rule that governed the way the sun moved mm. and rose and, and the stars in the heavens? And, so he takes natural law and, and because it's something that we know has order and purpose, and then he transitions to moral law so that we see that all God's laws have a, an order and, and purpose to them. They're mm. not just arbitrary. So when you can see the natural, how nicely that works, mm-hmm. he's like, now the same applies in the moral. That's exactly Beautiful. Right. Well... This is what, uh, and, and I kind of put this in the notes, that God's law is eternal and universal. So that mm-hmm. these are not, well, God's law is not something established only for man, nor was it something instituted in response to sin, which, by the way, you can't have sin if you don't have law, right? Right. Nor was it merely a temporary measure in Old Testament times, as so many Christians say, well, a good thing we're out from under that law, right? Yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. not temporary like that. And the quarterly brings this out in paragraph five of Sunday. Heaven, earth, it doesn't matter. If God has moral beings, he will have a moral law to govern them. And violation of that law in heaven or on earth is sin. That's right. So, God God rules rules with rules. rules. All right. Talking point number two. Grace is power. Now, I know that strikes kind of contrary to the more... If if you were to ask the common man on the street or or the church member in the pew... And I'm putting you on the spot, Mark. We didn't even talk no, about this. No, you're but not. If, if you were to say, we what is ch- grace? We could chant it together. <laughs> unmerited favor. Which a lot of people don't even know what unmerited means. Like, it's just bit, cause but it's there a catchy is a slogan. Well, right. we find that in inspiration, actually. The writings of Ellen White, she does mm. talk about grace as unmerited favor. But what does that mean? Yeah, well, what does it mean? And so what we've kind of... And what does God show us in that unmerited favor? And I think that's what you're getting at. Exactly. And so a lot of times we talk about grace. We have like, well, here's the law. And here's all these rules. But then grace comes along along and it's a whole nother thing and it kind of wipes out this and we have them almost as like fighting contentious yes opposers to each other when really law and grace are actually good teammates together yeah they complement each other and that grace is more than just you know calling things okay or making things it's, okay. it's powerful. Well, let's just start with the, the very the simplest concept of grace. The word grace, or, or if we say gracious, um, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about how if you work for something, then it's it's uh, something. Then the reward is owed to you, mm-hmm. and it's no longer grace; it's debt. Mm. And so the idea of grace, or to be gracious, I'm not being gracious to you if I'm pay, giving you your paycheck that you worked for. Right. So the idea is, grace means you didn't deserve it. And we can start there and say, absolutely, we didn't deserve an ounce of anything we received from Amen. God. But 
having said we don't deserve anything, does that mean that what God, you know, does that limit what, like, what, what did God give us that we didn't deserve? We could talk about life and breath, and you're talking about strength and power. Mm-hmm. That all God are gifts from me, God. Can God give me power that I didn't deserve mm-hmm. and still call it grace? Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, listen, this so is kind of this thought is drawn out in mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, okay. and so I don't itemize them here, but taken all together, this is what I can see coming out. First of all, Moses emphasized the importance of obedience to God's law as part of the covenant in the wake of God's deliverance from Egypt. And you see one of the clearest evidences of that in Deuteronomy 5.15, mm-hmm. where the second giving of the law, here the fourth commandment law, says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, so notice that, mm-hmm. remember what he did for you, yes. and therefore the Lord your God commanded you, in this instance, to keep the Sabbath day. But you could put to honor your father and do anything. But the yeah. commands yeah. of the Lord are predicated on his deliverance. Mm-hmm. And that lesson goes out of the way to make that point. And then the lesson on Monday lists text after Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 17, 28, 30. Right. goes on and on and on. And if you look at each one of those passages, what you're going to see is keep the law. Therefore, I remind you, here's the law. Be sure to obey the law. Well, be careful right? to obey it. Exactly. Be careful to observe it. And so, uh, what does he say in Monday's paragraph two about all this list? How many times in Deuteronomy you see law come up? Right. You know, even the most cursory reading of the book of Deuteronomy shows how crucial obedience to the law was for the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. In a real sense, it was the people's covenant obligation. Okay. Now, I want to time out right here. You could read that and various similar statements in this week's lesson and other weeks and in our conversations as a whole, where you could say like, all right, so God did his part when he delivered them from Egypt, Mm -hmm. and now it's our part to respond with obedience. And it sounds so simple, so pure, so logical. They're like, yeah, that sounds about right. God did the delivering part, and now I do the obeying part. But right there is the very legalistic trap that we want to make sure to avoid. We don't ever want to say that God's part of the covenant was the deliverance from, you know, the past, whatever it was, in this case, Egypt bondage. And now in response, he's going to fold his hands because he's done his part. Mm -hmm. And he's going to wait for you to do your coming over to him with the obedience that you can provide. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking about how prevalent this is in the minds of a lot of people. And it actually downplays obedience because... If if God's forgiveness was his part, and now my responding obedience is my part, you can't really expect a whole lot, right? If it's my part and I'm doing it on my strength, and that's what you find reflected in a lot of these. It's like, we'll do the best we can, but oh, praise God for what he did. And yeah. the reality is the best I can do is it's like It's always going to fall short of anything that you have to do. Yeah. Well, no, no. The, the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity. It cannot. Against, yeah. it, it, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, Romans 8, 7. So there's nothing in me that in my flesh dwells no good thing, not a little bit of good thing. And right. so some of those principles are lost sometimes. It's, okay, well, I'll do a li- my little bit. And maybe like, for example, an Olympic scale, you know, 
I'll probably hit like a 2.4 <laughs> out of the 10, but I'll do my best. No, you get a zero out of 10. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. Right. And in light of that, it's like if my righteousness is zero, if my righteousness is then zero. Then I need something more. Yeah. How am I going to do any obeying? You're not unless somehow from outside mm. of you, a power greater than yourself comes in. And that also is part of the grace of God. Well, what I, want to, I, what I want to do here, and I, I don't know if it's going to translate through the camera or not, maybe I won't be understood quite correctly, but I think oftentimes from a well-intended desire to protect us from uh, unbiblical legalism, mm -hmm. we might accidentally or unintentionally establish uh, another form of legalism. Yes. To say that, to say that, oh no, everything that was over there, that's God's part. Now, this is your part, and your part's not a city. Well, it's a half-off discount, because God wants not only to call you good, but to make you good. And if you say, well, his part's just the calling you, you're on the making, not and say, you can't do that part. Like, whoa. <laughs> not to say we don't have a part, but if any part is just us doing it in our space, yes. that's <laughs> exactly. And, and I think the contributor definition. fully believes that, sure. you know, obedience is possible to well, the Well, like you said, I think there's an attempt to make sure we don't get off on one ditch, but right. you, can, you can tend to then read yourself into another ditch. Well, and to clarify that, that's where we get the sub-point next here that says, grace includes more than just his side of the covenant, quote-unquote, right? I'm making that up, but extends to empowering us to keep our side of obedience. So God doesn't mm -hmm. stay on his side and say, now it's your turn. He's like, I did this, and now I'm going to help you do that because there is no power in you. Uh, on Monday's lesson, we read, God's grace forgives us for having violated his law, and God's grace enables us to obey his law as well, an obedience that rises from our covenant relationship with him. So I love that the, in this instance, the contributor made sure to bleed over that God doesn't just stay on his side. That's he comes right. over to our side, and he's like, there's two sides of this, and I'm necessary for both. Well, a couple <laughs> passages, real quickly, that, that I think buttress this are, one of my favorites is 1 Corinthians 10, mm. uh, 15 rather, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul talks about the other uh, apostles, and he says that I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the but grace of God that was with me. Well, so here he's talking about grace is not just some disposition to forgive sin mm -hmm. or an attitude toward me, but it's an it's empowering a working power. Yeah. Right. And, and another one from the same apostle in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the classic passage where he talks about that, that thorn in the flesh. And he says, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. And a lot of times I've had people interpret that. They're like, my grace is sufficient. Don't worry. I know you're going to mess up. I'm going to wink at it. That's mm. not what he's saying. He says in um, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he says Paul, that Paul responds, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he mm. equates grace with the strength of Christ and the power of Christ. And according to Paul, then, grace is power. That's exactly, and sufficient <laughs> to make up for his deficiencies. Right. So the point of the lesson, I think it's a very good one, then, is, is to highlight the deliverance of God and that it doesn't end there, That's that it right. continues the deliverance on. of God continues Amen. through our Christian experience. And I love this statement from Christ Object Lessons, page 333. You want to read that for us there? Yes. Yeah, As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Mm. Whatever is to be done at his, God's command, may be accomplished in his, God's strength. All his biddings are enablings. So when we look Great. at the command to keep God's law, that's not just a, 
Huh? Good luck. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I'm with you. I'm going to walk you out. I'm going to build you into. Best. Exactly. I'm going to train you to a commandment keeper, yes. not just one who has the ideal in his heart, but can actually live it in his life. That's I'm exactly excited about right. that. And that leads naturally to the final talking point, which obedience. Well, I have to, oh. I have to add, I mean, there are so many passages we don't have time for, but the, the quintessential is when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I mean, mm. the empowering, you know, we talk about grace being power, but what does it say? I think it's 1 Corinthians 2, that the, to the, the cross, to the Gentiles is foolishness, mm-hmm. and, and to, the, to the Greeks, it's, it's um, uh, or rather to the, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Mm. But he says, to those of us to believe, it's Christ the wisdom of God and the power of God. Mm. The power of God is in Christ. When Paul says Christ lives in me and I don't live, mm. that's the power that comes in our life is the living Christ. Mm. Yeah, so so often, and it's true that Christ does pardon us, but we almost, in an, again, in an effort perhaps to stay away from legalism, want to avoid those other statements where the Bible is clear that this power is available to us even now. It's always his power, incidentally. Absolutely. We recognize that. Now, which let's let's say put this together. All right. So we started with the eternal concept that the law is always there because of the nature of moral beings, yes. right? And that God, even after we have sinned, wants to forgive us our sins and to empower us to obey. So He wants to restore us Cleanse to that us from all, all unrighteousness. Right. So He wants to restore us back to that factory setting where we started off as in harmony with His law, right? Mm-hmm. And if we are the beings God has created us to be, oh boy, if there was only a button, right? Well, factory reset. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. There's that reset <laughs> button. But if we could understand that the law is not an enemy to us; it's actually a blessing and a mm-hmm. gift. It's the it's the very uh, blueprint of heaven, if you yes. will. And that God has offered himself to not only call us good, but make us good and bring us back into harmony. Mm-hmm. Then the life we would live in obedience to God's law would not be drudgery. It would not be painful. It would not be hesitant. It would be a joy. And thus talking about number three, obedience is a blessing. Amen. Most famously, now these, a couple of passages here were not in the lesson, but these are just mm-hmm. ones that were on my heart as I was reading through this. But I think of Psalm 40 verse 8. Where the psalmist says, I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Right? So once that law is in the heart, it's not like, well, now I guess you're empowering me. You're kind of taking me over and and I'm reluctantly going through it because you're carrying me. No, he's like, it's my delight. I love this. This is great. Um, Well, the same psalmist says in Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man. We would say happy. (laughs) <laughs> Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There's the, the key to happiness, according to the psalmist. That's the key of ha- Now, I'm thinking of the word delight, and, mm-hmm. and it makes me think of Isaiah chapter 58, mm-hmm. where it says, If you turn your way a foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and, and call the Sabbath a delight. Right. right? And, of course, the Sabbath is a a law of God. Mm-hmm. How is it possible the Bible can keep speaking of the law as not only a necessity, but a joy? It's a delight. That's not going to come through some like, all right, it's my end of the deal, so fine. Mm-hmm. You got me out, and I'll return. I thought you were going to ask the question, how is it that the Bible can consistently call the law a delight, and modern-day Christians continue to call it have mercy. <laughs> a, a drudgery or burden? Yeah. 
Well, because something's wrong there, well, folks. And it's almost as though, Pastor Marnell, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I am a controversy theorist, right? That there, that there is this great controversy. And what did we note in last week's so, lesson? In, in this week's lesson, the very first sentence, Christians of most denominations talk about law and grace and understand the relationship between the two. No, they, no, they don't. don't. <laughs> no, they or don't. Or they would delight in the law of the Lord. Exactly. It's like, and and when you think about the, there is an there is a behind the scenes war going on, not just against God in a generic general sense, but in a very specific way being levied against his rulership and his rules exactly themselves. Right. Satan has made From the, the world. Exactly. Yep. That is his object. And if he can get even Christians to think that the law is a burden that we have to escape from, it's just temporary for those people, it's a stopgap measure until Jesus, whatever, but he can frame the law as a negative, mm. something to avoid, then he's winning the great controversy for that person. Well, when we understand what scripture teaches, Old Testament, New Testament, there's a joy in serving the Lord. It's the highest delight that we have. Well, the lesson brings out on Tuesday, God is commanding, this is uh, next to the last paragraph, God is commanding the people to obey because it is in their best interest to do so. God made them, God sustains them, God knows what is best for them, and he wants what's best for them. Obedience to his law, to his Ten Commandments, can work only to their benefit. Beautiful. Like, and if you think about it, have you ever tried to imagine a world where everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't they be just slavishly, all right, fine, just getting through it? But what would change about society? You know, everything, everything honoring parents, no more divorce, there'd be no more theft, there'd be no dishonesty, there'd be no more killing. Well, and of course, you know the law is spiritual, so it's not just the outward, like you say, oh, I guess I'm just not going to kill anybody. It, from the heart, you're delighting in being yeah. spiritual. I you're like letting people live. This is great. Right. Yeah. It's actually fun. But I think this brings me to, and it wasn't in the lesson, but I had to put it in here from Steps of Christ, page 46. We've probably looked at this passage before, but she, where Sister White writes, man is doing the greatest injury and injustice to his own soul when he thinks and acts contrary to the will of God. No real joy can be found in the path forbidden by him who knows what is best and who plans for the good of his creatures. So, mm -hmm. And she goes on to say about there's nothing that he asks us to stop doing that we wouldn't want to do anyway if we saw yeah, what was best. Right. And I, I want us to have a Seventh-day Adventist stop having, if there is, this oppositional, all right, fine, I'm going to be, you know, this view that there's this law that's a burden, but praise the Lord for grace. Friends, the law is a blessing too. That's exactly and right. grace just enables us to grace keep it. Grace enhances the blessing. Exactly, and allows us to be law keepers that will make us the happiest people on the earth. So, concluding there in the lesson, uh, it says on, uh, paragraph 5 of Friday. Before us is this great truth, the grace given us in Jesus Christ on the cross. And I would only add to it that grace was also given to us when he was <laughs> sent to this well, the earth. The cross was a manifestation Absolutely. of everything we ever received through Christ. Absolutely. It's a symbol of that gift of God, right? And what does God ask for us in return? And of course, it's Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, that we walk humbly and do justice. And uh, anyway... You find all that in quarterly uh, Friday, mm. paragraph five. But there's a lot of themes here to talk about in this week's Sabbath school class. So I would urge you have a robust study, have a good quality discussion. But watch out, it could run off the rails in certain mm -hmm. places, but the Lord is going to bless if we stay faithful to his word. Amen. Pastor Albert, you want to give us a word of prayer? Sure, let's pray. Father in heaven. Oh, Father, we are thankful for the grace that you've given us so freely in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we too would be able to say 
with the apostle, we have been crucified with Christ and that he lives in us. And that as Jesus lives in us, we'd be able to say with David, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your many mercies to us. We pray that you would help us to be found faithful. Uh, help us to remember, Lord, that not only our forgiveness comes through your, your grace, your mercy, your, your strength, but so does our obedience. And we thank you for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.